Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast, breaking down politics as we know it and removing all the bullshit. (laughs) Because politics needed a (laughs) rebrand. Welcome back to another episode of Girl Me Gov the Podcast. It's a good one. We are, yeah. Oh my. Honestly, like, okay, so I was thinking about this this morning because I was like thinking of like some social posts and like all of that. And I was like, okay, it would be fun to do one where we like share our favorite episode and why and like whatever. It's just, you know, brainstorming all at myself and the pet zebra that I now have in this apartment. Mm-hmm. And. Then we recorded today's episode, and I was like, well, anything I was thinking previously just got knocked out of the water because our guest today, I just could not be more obsessed. I can't be more obsessed. I just, I love him. I love this episode. I love this topic, and I love how he explains it. So I'm just really in love over here. And then... Also, if anyone's worried about, like, Sam, like, no one's clawing at her windows to break in and kidnap <laughs> her. It's actually just her heater. Um, Welcome to New York. Yeah, and just, I'm like... I'm not Taylor Swift. Wow. And this is honestly for this episode and episodes in the past and in the future. I live in San Francisco. Sam lives in New York City. It's going to get loud. There's going to be sirens. There's going to be, you know motorcycles that are just obnoxiously loud and we're sorry but Mm. it just adds it adds flavor it adds character it is and honestly i'm taking submissions for names of my gurgling heater because clearly it has a personality like it wants to comment it's like trying to get in on our on the party so speaking to you and i'm trying to learn its language you know I, i really i feel him and I are gonna get to you know get to know each other clearly. Anyways, yeah. now that everyone thinks I'm a total grade A weirdo that clearly spends way too much time by myself working from home, I guess it's we should just get into her. This episode. It's just her and her heater in that apartment. Nobody else. Okay, we'll get into it. We'll get into this episode. So today we are speaking with Brian Derrick, and he is a political strategist and a an legend. icon. There we go. There we go. As many as that, icon. And he is also the founder of Oath, which is a super awesome civic platform. So we love to see it. Obviously, making politics more approachable and accessible is the name of the game. So this conversation is going to fall right in line, and you guys are going to be really excited. So without further ado, here's Brian. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I'm super excited to chat with y'all. So my name is Brian Derrick. I work in politics as a campaign staffer and political strategist and consultant. Have been doing that for a number of years. My background is in fundraising, both in the nonprofit and political space. And now I'm sort of working more on civic engagement and making our politics more accessible to everyday people who find this is the system very confusing and don't really know how to 
jump in and make their voice heard, which is why I was so excited to meet y'all. And I'm excited to sort of get into some of that today. Yes, so excited. So you mentioned you're a political strategist. This is someone, I don't think we've had one on our show yet, but it's such an interesting you know, job, career path. Can you kind of give people a you know, snapshot into what that role even is and what like a day-to-day looks like? Absolutely. I have clients presently who are running for office from local uh, city, citywide races or for the state legislature up through federal races for Congress and the Senate. And my job is different from campaign to campaign based on what the needs of that campaign are. But I would say the the through line is that I'm working to build coalitions, whether that those are coalitions to help fund a campaign or coalitions to build political power behind a candidate and also work on digital outreach strategies, messaging, and those pieces that sort of come along with that, but basically helping candidates to pitch themselves for the office they are running for and get the resources that they need in order to win. Um, One, love it. Two, (laughs) is there ever a time where you're like chatting with a potential client, aka potential candidate, and you're like, dear God, train wreck, absolutely not. And you have to walk away. (laughs) Definitely. You have to be discerning, right? Especially in this space, which can be really draining. I think everyone has felt that just reading the news and, and, and existing in our politics today can be really tough. And so it's really important for me that I believe in the candidates that right. I'm working with. It is not just going to be about a paycheck. There are other ways to make more money if mm-hmm. you want to go do that. Like this yeah. is very much about making change. And so you right. have to believe in those yeah. candidates. So yes, there have definitely been times where I've had that conversation and been like, maybe this isn't the race for <laughs> Yeah, you're like, let me run it back. I just don't know. Okay, well, you're also the founder of Oath. Can you kind of tell us about, about Oath and what you guys do there? Yes, you guys are going to love this. Oath <laughs> is, <laughs> is a civic engagement platform that we launched at the beginning of this year to help people get engaged in the New York City primaries. Basically, it centralized all this information so that someone could see who was running to represent them in office, what those offices are actually responsible for, aka, what the F is a comptroller? What does that person even do? How, how does Retweet. that impact my life? Exactly. <laughs> Who's running and, and why, why would this person be uh, a better fit for me rather than this other person? Breaking that information down for people in the simplest way, and then importantly, connecting them directly to actions that they could take to support those candidates right away. And so we had an amazing response from people in New York. Thousands and thousands of people used the platform to decide who to support and then take action to advance those candidates. And now we are taking steps to make both available to uh, more people around the country, which is really exciting. Oh my God. Wait, what cities are next? It's um, an excellent question <laughs> that I will be happy to answer for you in January. Okay, yeah, <laughs> we will we will circle back. I know Maddie is definitely like so San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm like, when are you coming back? Yes. When we met, you were telling me how you're doing an event in literally my hometown where I grew up, super small town, and I was like, what are you doing there? <laughs> Excuse me. Absolutely. Yeah, there we we had a really awesome trip out to California with some some great members who were getting ready for the midterms. Yes, we're, well, we're so excited for the midterms, but 
to are move we, on. Are we or are we just um, <laughs> <laughs> We can be both. We can you're be right, both. actually. You're right. It's mostly fear. But we have a huge topic to cover and Ooh, tackle yeah. today. So let's just get on into it because we want to talk about the Build Back Better plan, all this stuff that's happening in Congress or just heading to Biden's desk, whatever it is. We need to break it down because we've been trying to cover it for like months and like update people, but it's just so overwhelming. So we want to get into that with you because you are the perfect person to do that. So to start, we want to get into our I have a stupid question segment and really just kick it off here with (laughs) what is the Build Back Better bill and what's included in the Build Back Better bill? What's in there? Wow, that is that is a plan words right there. That is just just really rolls off the tongue in a certain way. Not to interrupt this question, but blah, 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 blah. I feel like you B know? is like the worst letter to like have consecutively. Do you know? It's just like a lot on the mouth. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So here comes Brian on the Build Back Better <laughs> bipartisan infrastructure framework. Oh my so, God. Yeah, I think that to sort of zoom out and talk just top line, what is this legislation that we're talking about? People have probably heard references or seen references to two different pieces of legislation. One of it's called the BIF, it was at one point called the BIF, B-I-F, which stands for the Bipartisan Infrastructure Framework. On paper, that is called the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. That is all the same piece of legislation going by different names. That why do bill, they do this to us? Like, why do they do I know. this to us? I well, just... they, 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 they name it something like on the books and then yeah. they want to like market it. So market they try to come it. up with something snappier and then mm. the press will do their own thing. Right. And so you just end up with a bunch of names. Yeah, that's why like for the past year, I've been like, what, what are we... T- is this the same thing? What are we talking about? What here? are we talking about? Yeah. yeah. Which is, I mean, I'm sure we're going to get into it, but yeah. a, a big problem when you're trying right. to sell the bell. Yes. People don't know what you're talking about. So that's number one is the bipartisan infrastructure bill that passed the Senate over the summer. It passed the House about two weeks ago and was signed by President Biden yesterday as of the signing or as of the recording of this. And that is $1.2 trillion for roads and bridges, the electric grid, broadband access, clean water, and resiliency. So um, investing in extreme weather resiliency and those kinds of things. That's one. Number two, that I think that we're probably gonna focus even more on is Build Back Better, which is the actual name of, of the legislation. It is the social spending package that Biden has promoted as the second part of of his agenda that includes universal pre-K provisions to address climate change, childcare tax credits, earned income tax credits, as well as money for childcare, money for housing, and to address a lot of the uh, systemic issues that we're, we're facing as a country. That piece of legislation is expected is expecting a vote in the house once it passes the house then it will go to the senate if the senate changes it then it will come back to the house the house will pass it and then biden will sign it Mm -hmm. so we're we're at an earlier phase of build back better whereas the biff is already done okay i mean biff to me like now as of yesterday is just like i know it wasn't a sunday but it was like selfie sunday to me every politician was taking selfies like nobody's business I felt like it was like the Revolve influencer event of like politics. <laughs> I was like, who's going to try and be like, can the I get a pic with you? Yeah, dead ass. That was like exactly how I felt about it. So like now my association with Biff is like your explanation plus that. And I just love it. But like 
with Build Back Better. So there's like a lot included in it, obviously social spending, which is, I feel like can be interpreted a million and 10 ways, mm-hmm. but I know there's like been a lot of controversy as to things that have gotten nixed or like aren't included. What's gotten sort of the ax and like, what's the story as to why that is? Absolutely. I will preface this conversation by saying what we're going to talk about is the house version of the bill okay and so we have we have a version that we think is going to pass the house very soon and i will comment on what is and is not included there but that does not mean that's what's going to be in the final package right and so Mm -hmm. we can talk about what we expect to be cut once it gets to the senate but in the house the main provisions that i think people are upset we're missing would probably be community college as well as an extended family leave program there is family leave in the house version but it's four weeks not 12 weeks and there is a slimmed down version of the drug price negotiations proposal allowing the government to basically negotiate drug prices on government health care plans which would save a lot of money especially for seniors on on prescription drugs So those are some of the pieces that have been cut. I'm using air quotes here, cut from the, from the bill, from the original idea of what the bill was, but that still leaves about $1.75 trillion in spending over the next 10 years. But yeah. Sheesh. Okay. To move on to, from, to like, we have some audience questions actually, because Lord knows we're all confused. So let's get into those. We are wondering, will it be possible to pass build back better um, through the Senate if Manchin votes against it? The short answer to that question is no. (laughs) But, and, and the reason for that is the build back better plan is going through a process that is known as reconciliation. And that requires, or sorry, that allows basically a shortcut around the filibuster. And so we can pass the legislation with 51 votes, but Democrats only have 50 senators in the Senate. And so we need every single one of them to vote yes, then there will be a tie and Vice President Kamala Harris can break the tie and pass the bill. So Joe Biden has has basically comments on this saying that makes every senator a president. Every single senator has Mm. to vote yes. And so if even one of them says they have an issue with the bill because of X, Y reason, they have the power to take the whole thing. Had we won more seats in 2020, that's sort of the pivotal thing here, right? Had we won two more seats, even one, even one more Senate seat, it would have totally changed the power dynamic because every individual senator senator then would have been expendable. You could lose yeah. one vote. And so it, it takes so much power away from them individually. Yeah. We are in a situation that's only happened a couple times in the entire history of our nation, wow. having a 50-50 split yeah. where you there's just zero room for error and every single person, every single senator has to be rowing in the same direction to get us where we want to go. And that's mm-hmm. hard. That so is hard. ridiculous. And Manchin just eats up the attention. He fucking loves it. He is, yeah. is he an only child? <laughs> I just want to know, like, because if he is, I just would like to say that he is misrepresenting only children and we need to have a little sit down. I know there's some other things that we need to talk about with him first, but just putting it out there. But okay, so this is like a huge issue in terms of, well, so many different things, but the fact that like we, 
could possibly not see this pass because one person's gonna like have a little I don't want to say a fit like I want a tantrum tantrum a tantrum indeed yeah at least yeah for people that want it passed it feels like a tantrum over things that are very important but like I think some of the things that get thrown from the other side is this idea of inflation and one of the questions that we got from the audience was how will this bill impact inflation the economy in general like will it like is that actually a truth that's the word of the year, right? Yeah. Is inflation. Um, and I will say I'm I, I do not have an advanced degree in economics, but I think inflation I... just needs its own like degree, like major. <laughs> you need a major in inflation to like fully understand it. <laughs> Honestly, I think that, that would involve more seances than like <laughs> seminars because inflation uh, is like this like ghost that's roaming around it's and, like a and phantom. comes to visit sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I, I did some additional research into what Moody's has projected as the impact of the Build Back Better plan. Moody's is like a very respected ratings source of, of and, and source of economic information. And they do, they pretty clearly state that it will not have a long-term negative effect on inflation because the bill is expected to return the economy to full employment. And so by providing childcare to people, by providing universal pre-K and health care and paid leave and some of these pieces of the bill, you will enable people to return to work. And some of those are the, are the roadblocks keeping people from doing that. So the overall impact, according to Moody's, would be that we would return to an annual 2% projected inflation, which is what the Fed aims for in a normal year. Different sources of information can give you different ratings. So they're, they're, if you want to make that argument, you can find data to support that, but you can also find data to support that this will not cause an inflation problem um, and, and could have the opposite effect. Gotcha. And another like audience question, but also one that has just been like blasted all over the news, I feel like, and conversation about this is like, will taxes go up due to this, this bill? Not if you are not a mega millionaire or billionaire. So, so the way that it's paid for and it is completely paid for is through a minimum corporate tax. So I think we've all seen stories, millennials love sharing these stories because it's so outrageous about how like Netflix and like UPS and and these massive multinational corporations pay $0 in federal taxes every year. That would go away and there would be a minimum. So you can take all the credits and loopholes that you want, but you're gonna pay 15% minimum at the end of the day, as well as a surtax on millionaires and billionaires, people making millions of dollars every year or billions of dollars every year, as well as a surtax on corporate stock buybacks, which we don't have to get into, but is like a tool used by companies to give more money to their shareholders and would, would add a surcharge to that as well. That. So the answer, yeah. the answer is no. You're, you're, so, so, so your taxes yeah. are not going to go up if you are uh, an everyday uh, person making uh, and if there's a any, salary. And if there's any millionaires, billionaires listening to this podcast right now, like 
send us an email. Um, we want to chat. Yeah, and if you have a, a single hot in your 20s guy available, maybe two of them, yeah. uh, let us know. You know, we can also be adopted. Contact. We're fine with that. Um, <laughs> we're going to need three. Thank you. <laughs> Sign us up. But speaking of billionaires, I guess this is kind of like the perfect segue into this is like, who is paying for the bill? Like overall, like where's the most money really like coming from to get this job done for, you know, year one, year two, year three, et cetera? Yeah. So I think the largest provision, the, the biggest pay for, we call them like pay for is how are you paying for the bill? The biggest pay for is the minimum corporate tax rate. And that was devised by, or I should say at, at the direction of Senator Cinema who had objected to some of the other options that were put forward to pay for the bill, such as increasing the rate of the top income bracket or adjusting the way that people who work in private equity make their money called Mm -hmm. the carried interest uh, tax loophole, addressing something like that. She was not in favor of those things and instead wanted to first make sure that the Netflixes of the world were paying taxes. And so that is, I think, the core provision, the core pay for. And then additionally, as I mentioned, the surtaxes on millionaires, billionaires, and corporate buybacks. And there's also an additional investment happening in the IRS. This has been in the news as well. Republicans don't support taxes, basically, in, 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 in any way, especially for really wealthy people. And so there's been a strategic divestment from the IRS from over many years. And the IRS is no longer really able to conduct the kind of investigations and and accountability measures that we would expect to ensure everyone is paying their fair shares. And so the bill would correct that and, and reinvest in the IRS so that they can go after tax cheats. We touched on this a little bit, but just to sort of, you know, give that streamline, you know, sort of overview once again, if this bill were to pass, how would that process work and what does that look like? So, <laughs> there's been some drama around this recently, okay. right? There was originally a plan to move both the infrastructure, the BIF that are, has already become law, and the Build Back Better plan, which we're talking about now, to move them in concert, to move them together through mm-hmm. the House. And they were eventually separated. And so the infrastructure bill passed and Build Back Better did not pass. Where we are at right now is that some moderate Democrats in the House are waiting for scores from the Congressional Budget Office, which are expected to be delivered on Thursday or Friday of this week, after which, barring any surprises in that information, there should be a vote to pass Build Back Better in the House, which will pass this Friday or Saturday. That will send the bill to the Senate, where it then has to go through the Senate's process and will include amendments, certainly, to the legislation. My guess is that the most likely things to be changed are the family leave plan could definitely be amended or cut by Manchin. A cinema might amend or remove parts of the drug price negotiations. And Bernie Sanders has issues with the current structure of the SALT cap repeal, which is another thing we can get into if you want. And so every senator has the opportunity to propose amendments and make changes. So the the bill will be amended in, in that process. 
then when it passes the Senate with 51 votes, including that mansion vote, it will go back to the House where they have to say, okay, yes, we agree to the changes that you made. And then it would head to Biden's desk for a signature. We're probably talking, I hope, it would be a, it would be a major win to get it done by the end of the year by the end of this calendar year, but it might it might be longer than that, honestly. Dear God. <laughs> like, Classic. Lord have mercy on our souls. But you did mention the Congressional Budget Office, which just, that, see, that has a fun ring to it. You know, that's a little, like... <laughs> CBO score. Sexy. Yeah. So many Bs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what actually, like, is it? Like, who's in charge of this little situation? What yeah, does it mean? The CBO is... Uh, administrative office within our federal government that because we have such a, a massive federal budget helps legislators identify what the impact of legislation will be. And so when you propose legislation, if it's regulatory or if it's going to impact the budget, a CBO score is a, a, a the, con- the Congressional Budget Office will produce information for you on how that legislation will affect the federal budget in the short and long term. And so that's why people want to see CBO scores is because it can give a more full picture of the impact of this legislation. People often hear how long these bills are, right? When you're trying to accomplish that, like these five huge federal priorities in one bill, the bill might be 3000 pages. So, and that's the bill itself. Did you read it? I read every word. (laughs) Did you actually? No, absolutely not. No, I was like, oh no. No. (laughs) You honestly deserve better. way too way way too much going on right i had to catch up on the other two first but (laughs) and so the cbo score tells you what the impact of that legislation is but it takes time to do the research and crunch the numbers to figure out what that is so if we're going to do if we're going to make changes to the affordable care act and how health care premiums are are calculated in every state obviously that has sort of like cascading impacts on the economy and pricing of things and so we need some nerds on some big computers to go in and tell us what's going to happen when we pass that bill. Right. And speaking of just like impact and this bill and what it can do, like I love this question because it's, I feel like always been a question for me for any type of piece of legislation. It's like, how long does it take to like feel the impacts of a piece of legislation, of a piece of legislation, especially this one? Like when can people, you know, be like, Oh, okay. I see this happening. I mean, especially too, like looking into next year and elections and the, po- the politics of it all even too, that's a whole nother factor. But when can Americans start being like, oh my God, finally, like relief? It varies widely between the provisions of the bill. I think the most immediate impacts would be probably the child tax credit which would be continued and and is made refundable. So working families will continue to receive this critical benefit that's helped a lot of people during the pandemic. That that kind of implementation is really fast because we already have the mechanisms in place to share, to, to send people that kind of money or, or to give people those tax rebates. Some of the other pieces will take longer. So I think things like 
any kind of um, universal pre-K, you have to get the money into the right places to be able to pay providers to set up those services to do recruiting of staff and and like that won't be right. overnight. I don't right. I don't have a timeline for you, but that will take time mm-hmm. as will some of the climate change provisions. There there's a lot under that umbrella, but some of those pieces will take longer to implement. Yeah. And I don't think that this is currently in the House version of the bill, but even one of the portions of of Bernie Sanders' proposal for, I believe it was Medicaid expansion, no, it was Medicare expansion to hearing and vision services wouldn't have taken effect until I think it was 2028. And so sometimes this means like planning many years in advance and some things are immediate. For example, the bipartisan infrastructure framework slash BIF slash... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Infrastructure Investment Jobs Act, uh, which just was signed into law already for those of us who are New York based has already impacted our lives because the MTA has said that they will not increase fares, which they were planning to do because of the money they're getting from the infrastructure bill. So the next time you ride the bus or the subway, you can say, thanks, Brandon, for keeping it at 275 and and preventing a, a fair hike. Oh, there we go. God. A bargain at 275, that <laughs> joyful ride. <laughs> Next, let's make it free. Please, like literally, please on so many levels. But okay, so some of these things could take a while. Some of these things, like you said, could be immediate. Obviously it impacts the politics, like Maddie was saying, like we've got midterms, we've got other little elections that are popping up this way and that way. like. Biden's isn't honestly too soon away. I mean, crazy enough to think, and his popularity is like literally like in the tank. Like I've never, no, I've never not seen, but like just oi is like the best way to put it. Like, do you think like if this passes, it'll go back up? Will it like surge? Is there any hope for him? <laughs> Sorry, that's not so. There is hope. There so is, dark. There is hope for sure. But my direct answer is I think no, I don't think <laughs> that the infrastructure bill that already was signed into law or Build Back Better, by nature of passing, will increase his approval ratings. I know that there was like news generated this week because the first polls came out that were taken after the House passed infrastructure and it was clear that it was going to become law and there was no improvement. Yeah. And I think that tracks. People are not following in like closely enough and are not going about their day thinking, oh, damn, well, if they had passed the Infrastructure Investment (laughs) and Jobs Act last week, then I would be totally, like, that's not what people are experiencing right now. People are pissed because they're tired of wearing masks. They're tired of COVID in general and all of the ways that that impacts our lives. They are exhausted of going to the grocery store and having things cost more or having things not be there because of the supply chain or this, that, the other. And so the reality is, some of those problems over time will be addressed by these pieces of legislation, by investing in ports, by investing in rail, by investing in all of these pieces that, that both both of them address. But it won't be immediately clear upon passage. I think that it's good if the news cycle can sort of change from Democrats are a shit show to Democrats pass third massive piece of legislation that's better but i don't think that it will fix our problems that being said there is hope for biden we are a year out from the election 
if we have learned anything in the last five or six years, it's that our political world sort of turns upside down every few months, right? Yeah. And so we have no idea what is going to be driving the day in six months from now as, as we're preparing hardcore for the midterms. We could see inflation start to level out or or, or recede. I'm, again, I'm not an economics ex <laughs> expert, but like, I, I don't want to chalk it up as a loss for the midterms until we really know what the landscape is. But that being said, it's very clear, all the data is very clear that we have a lot of work to do. But those are things that, that we have a year to work on. I gotta get an exorcist, exorcism of the inflation ghost. <laughs> yeah, for real. Guys, we need Ouija boards. <laughs> like, get them out, oh, get them grinding. Oh my God. That is like so true though. Like, I do feel like even thinking about like this past election with Biden of like the whole factor of like, the election was going to be based on certain things and then COVID just kind of popped in there. Just happened. I mean, obviously was, if we were anyone was paying super attention would have seen it coming a little bit more, but like, regardless, I don't think people were thinking of that on the radar and it changed the whole election. So mm -hmm. I, I do right. think that is something interesting to think about is like, there could be something that pops up in the next four months that totally like changes how everyone looks at stuff and how they vote. So. Or George Floyd, or right. Afghanistan, yes. or there are so many different events that really turn the page and, and start a new political conversation. Yeah. And so, well, Afghanistan I, I was like the catalyst for I feel like Biden's just dropping approval totally. ratings. Yeah, right. it's crazy. Yeah, so we don't want another catalyst in the same direction, but we would love a catalyst in the reverse direction. Right. Yes. Oh, man. Well, this has been very eye-opening. And, I mean, we've been just waiting for someone to come on and, and do this for us. So thank you. You're a savior. But we also just need to have you on 100 more times because we also need to chat, like, redistricting 2022. There's just so much to go over. So much. Absolutely. So I'm ready anytime. Okay. I think that if I can just end with a, a final thought. Give us everything. It is that it's important to consider your frame of reference when you're having conversations about these pieces of legislation and about what our priorities and expectations are of the federal government right now, of Biden, of Congress. We have to take into account what the political realities of our lives are. And the political reality is that we won the White House, we flipped the Senate, and we lost seats in the House, and we lost seats in a lot of state legislatures. And so that kind of mixed result does not set you up for massive, um, for, for domineering legislating from Washington or even state capitals that are going to produce transformational change for the country. We did not enter the year in a strong position to do that, even though it felt like obviously we had this massive win. We defeated Donald Trump, we flipped the Senate, but it's more nuanced than that. And so if you're considering the historical framing and what the reality is in DC right now. I think that passing both infrastructure and Build Back Better will be massive achievements for Democrats to run on in the midterms and will tangibly Im improve millions and millions of people's lives who need it the most. 
it's totally understandable to be disappointed in some of the things that might not be included in this bill by the time it gets signed. But it's important to sort of put that into perspective and always anchor it in what is in the bill, what is going to have a positive impact. And there's a lot there to mm-hmm. dive into. So if you're feeling super depressed about it, log off of Twitter, <laughs> talk to your neighbors in re- in real life about what's going to impact their lives. And I think that you'll end up feeling better about the legislation overall and uh, about the direction that we're moving in. Totally. I mean, there's so many wins in there. So just got to stay positive, but also like keep chugging on the other issues. So exactly. It was never all going to be done in one year. Yeah. We still have many... It never is ever. Exactly. It never right. like, it's just impossible for us over here um, in the United States. So <laughs> it's just, it's the reality here, but thank you again. And just, I can't say thank you enough. Seriously. We, I'm not kidding. When I tell you that like every week we try to update people on, on this bill and we're like, yeah, so I guess we'll give you more updates next week. Like, fingers crossed, but we've just never, you know. Because it's, it's the it's bill just... that, well, obviously Hobo won't die, but, like, it just, nothing seems to happen. Or then things flip-flop back and forth ten times, and you're like, or okay. Or it splits. Or it Ugh, just, yeah. The it's struggle. Wild. It's wild. Well, thank you again. Can you give everybody your, like, Instagram, all the things, plug yourself? Because you also have an amazing, very informative Instagram that everyone should follow, so. Thank you very much. You can follow me on Instagram or TikTok at Brian, with an I, Derek, underscore. There it is. Well, thank you so much for coming on, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. Top stories of the week. Biden signs his $1 trillion infrastructure deal with a bipartisan crowd as we ring our bipartisan bell. There she is. And (laughs) so Monday, President Biden signed the $1 trillion infrastructure deal into law before a bipartisan crowd on the White House lawn, which is a beautiful thing, really. It's it's not seen often, so, uh, so we appreciate it when it comes. But basically, he stated that the new infusion of cash for roads bridges ports and more is going to make life change for the better for the american people joe what words of beauty what eloquence amongst us all i can say is like infusion like the word infusion just makes me feel like makes me think of gushers like i know i'm taking this in a very weird direction but yeah i think i'm hungry i think i'm just i am hungry and that made me think of I don't know why, but like fusion, like cuisine, but that's a different word. I'm just going to, let's keep going. Okay. Anyways, guys, now that everyone thinks we like literally aren't crack cocaine after this episode, basically prospects for future bipartisanship are quite tough. Like not that we didn't know them, but like they're, they're not looking great, but as obviously there's a pivot back to more difficult negotiations over the $1.75 trillion social spending package. So we'll see what happens there. But President Biden hopes to use this as a way to build back his popularity, which if you're listening in the interview we just had, we had some commentary on whether or not that's feasible, what could happen or not. So whether that's the situation there, but we should probably say what he said. Let's let's hear it. What'd Joe say? Folks, too often. (laughs) (laughs) He's not a founding father. Relax. (laughs) So this is what Joe Biden said, you guys. Are we ready? 
I don't even know what's going on in my brain. Okay, he said, my message to the American people is this. America is moving again, and your life is going to change for the better. Folks too often in Washington, the reason we didn't get things done is because we insisted on getting everything we want. Everything. With this law, we focus on getting things done. And I ran for president because the only way to move our country forward, in my view, was through compromise and consensus. Spoken like a true moderate. <laughs> <laughs> but there it is, you guys. It's, it was signed into law. Again, we will keep updating on the Build Back Better plan that Brian just so amazingly went over with us. But yeah, bipartisan moment. And we'll see, you know, again, how that affects his popularity when these things will start being implemented and pushed out to the American people. We will see, we will see, we will see. Per usual, honestly. Nothing has yeah, really changed. Nothing's really changed here it's, at this moment. <laughs> we're like, yeah, 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 it's fine. We're no, basically no. exactly where we've been, but it's fine. It's, you know, hashtag growth. But speaking of someone that's not growing, making not moves, changing, not, not definitely not changing. Oh my God, this guy has clearly not meditated, done any self work, gotten a journal. I mean, I don't know, whatever it is. Good old Bannon. Good old Bannon. He's back I, in the news again. I know a guy who's friends with his son. No. Yeah. And I remember when he told me this, and because they like are actually like best friends. And I was like, how dare you be around me? And you know Bannon. Goodbye. Okay, well, let's get into the story because Bannon was indicted on Friday on two counts of criminal contempt of Congress after he defied a subpoena from the House Committee investigating the insurrection on our government on January 6th. And he was indicted on one count for refusing to appear for a, a deposition. And the indictment comes after a parade of Trump administration officials defying requests and demands from Congress to come on in and share their piece. So, sketchy. So Attorney General Merrick Garland said that Bannon's indictment reflects the Justice Department's steadfast commitment to rule of law, which comes as a second witness, former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows defied his subpoena. If the House votes to hold Meadows in contempt, that recommendation would also be sent to the Justice Department for a possible indictment. So in terms of a little, you know, a little color commentary, good old... Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff said the days of defying subpoenas with impunity are over. He says, we will expose those responsible for January 6th. No one is above the law. Yes, and Republican Representative Liz Cheney of Wyoming said in a statement, Mr. Meadows, Mr. Bannon, and others who go down this path won't prevail in stopping the select committee's effort getting answers for the American people about January 6th, making legislative recommendations to help protect our democracy and helping ensure nothing like that day ever happens again. Shout out Cheney. She sometimes comes through. And so in the Bannon indictment, it states he did not communicate with the committee in any way from the time of the subpoena, which was September 24th, until October 7th, when his lawyer sent a letter seven hours after the documents were due. When Bannon declined to uh, appear for his deposition in October, his attorney said the former Trump advisor had been directed by a lawyer for Trump citing executive privilege not to answer the questions. We talked about this in a story a few episodes back. The attorney did not respond to a message seeking comment on Friday. 
And this is not the first time he has faced legal issues. In fact, he was pulled from a yacht and arrested on allegations that he and three associates ripped off donors trying to fund a southern border wall. What a fucking gem of a man. I just can't. Why is that straight out of Wolf of Wall Street? Oh, it like absolutely is. Who I weirdly was like backstalking on Instagram the other day. And I don't even remember why. Like, he's like trying movie, to make a like, comeback right now. Like he's like maybe it's because I saw him on TikTok. Yeah, he's like that's what TikToks. must have sparked it. Yeah, it's weird. Because I was like, ha. Huh, wonder if. No. Anyways. Trump ended up pardoning Bannon from his yacht arrest. But God, that's so fucking fitting. Yeah, it's just like that really visual is. is just so fitting for mm-hmm. Trump for the whole situation. So, anyways, giving sort of the update here. So Monday, Bannon decided not to enter a plea deal, and he is due back in court on Thursday for sort of the next phase of this trial. And he stated he was going on the offense against Attorney General Speaker Pelosi and President Biden. He said, legit, this is going to be a misdemeanor from hell for Mayor Garland, Nancy Pelosi, and Joe Biden. I don't know why that's my Bannon voice. I deserve whatever acting awards are out there for that. So thank you very much taking a bow. But anyways, this kind of all happened after Bannon surrendered to the FBI earlier on Monday, he was not on a yacht this time. Good for him. Proud of him. Proud of him. There's the growth. Yeah, well, we'll see. Moving on to our next story. The White House is to host its first summit of tribal nations since 2016. I have a feeling that this disappeared when uh, this man, Donnie, mm. Donnie might have. Donnie uh, boy. Donnie might have nixed this from, from his uh, tenure. President Biden announced Monday the steps to improve public safety and justice for Native Americans during the first Tribal Nation Summit since 2016. Leaders from more than 570 tribes in the U.S. are expected to join the two-day event. Jen Psaki stated that the summit coincides with the National Native American Heritage Month, and it has it is being hosted by the White House for the first time. So it's back, and yeah, we, we love to and see as it. as we were saying, it was not hosted during the Trump administration. Shocker! And past conferences were held at the Interior Department. Biden will use the summit to announce steps to protect private lands, treaty rights, and sacred places. So within sort of this conversation, within the summit, Biden has taken the following steps and made the following commitments to tribal nations. Among them are naming Deb Holland, a former congresswoman from New Mexico, as the first Native American to lead the Interior Department which is a powerful agency that has wielded influence over U.S. tribes for generations. Additionally, Biden's coronavirus relief plan included $31 billion for tribal communities, and the administration also has worked closely with tribal leaders to help make COVID-19 vaccination rates among Native Americans among the highest in the country, the White House said. Yeah. Biden has also recently become the first president to issue a proclamation designating October 11th as Indigenous Peoples Day, giving a boost to long-standing efforts to refocus the federal holiday, celebrating Christopher Shithead Columbus toward an appreciation of Native peoples. Earlier this year as well, Joe Biden spent two days in April visiting the Navajo Nation's capital in Window Rock, Arizona. So from sort of the perspective, there's a lot of PR things going on that they've sort of done or made some sort of optic changes. I think it'll be interesting to see what other policy solutions changes and yeah, and funding sort of ends up in this direction because obviously everything can be baby steps and positive, but I think like a lot of this feels like optics positive. Sure. PR positive, yeah. but if you don't know much about like the background, it's like yeah. okay, it's a lot of symbolic check marks and not a lot of like deep rooted action. <clears throat> given how many like systemic issues there are surrounding yeah. the United States's relationship with Indigenous people, 
Correct. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, we'll see if there's, you know, policy solutions that come out of this, this summit or any, you know, real kind of tangible items. But again, it's obviously, you know, positive shift from our last administration and really who just disregarded indigenous people altogether. So yeah, this is this is a good start, I would say. But again, we need some tangible solutions. But those are our stories for this week. That is our episode. Hope you enjoyed. Hope you're feeling good about the Build Back Better plan, about Biff, about everything. And you guys, today is the last day, if you're listening on Wednesday, November 17th, to get merch. So you better hit that link in this episode description and get your merch because you literally might have minutes left to get it. So go check it out. There's three really cute hoodies and crewnecks. And again, good for for holidays, good for gifting, but also good for yourself. So go check them out and let us know also what you think. We're going to probably do another round closer to the holidays too. So let us know what you want. Let us know what you're into. We'd love to know. So that is it for this week. Subscribe, rate, review, follow on social media, follow Brian on social media, and we'll be talking to you all next Wednesday. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description.